1: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who rang in the new year drinking whiskey and got way past tipsy. He is the captain.
2: It was a cocktail. It was a mixture between whiskey and antifreeze. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. I'm thankful I'm alive after last night. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling a friend.
1: Today we are drinking cast iron oatmeal brown by the good, good people over at Four Hands Brewing Company. Garage grade three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. This is a monster of a brown ale. There's lots of chocolate malt here. Pours dark mahogany and has a wonderful coffee aroma. Cast iron oatmeal brown was brought to us by these wonderful folks. First up, we have Adrian in Denton, Texas.
2: And from New Orleans, we have Alex and Colin, or how it's properly pronounced... New and
1: we have a cheers from Sandra down in Little Rock, Arkansas.
2: And from the place that rocks Cleveland, Ohio, we have sweet Melissa.
1: And here's a shout out to Natalie in New Whiteland, Indiana. And last but not least, we have Ray in Redwood Falls, Minnesota. So thanks to everybody.
2: And if you'd like to donate to the Beer Fund, you can do so at TrueCrimeGarage.com and just click on the donate banner.
1: And we are very happy to be back, Captain. Looking forward mm-hmm. to a wonderful 2018 with each and every one of you mm-hmm. here in the garage. And that's enough for the business. That's right, everybody. Gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
3: As kids, Edward and I. We're pretty close. He, of course, was the typical boy. We grew up with my father, so as you'd expect, I stayed pretty close to him. Anything he did, I did, no matter what it was. If he was 100 feet in a tree, I was too. He had no fear as a kid. As we got older, we kind of slowly started to drift apart and started our own paths in life. I moved 200 miles away. And he stayed close to our dad. He and my dad were very close, good friends. It wasn't too long until he moved up here with me to start a new life. Our relationship pretty much started back to where we were as kids. We stayed pretty close again, always talked to each other, and he often talked about his future. For him, he couldn't wait to start a family. He respected women. As our father taught us. And as kids, kids were drawn to him like no other. He loved kids, and kids would play with him all the time. Edward would have been an amazing father had he had a chance. The town that we moved to wasn't anything special, it had two sawmills, a factory. But no matter where Edward was, he made friends, all sorts of friends. See, Edward never judged anybody. He liked people based on what he knew about them. Not what they looked like or not what they had or where they lived. Edward and I grew up poor ourselves and learned to respect everybody. Edward made all sorts of friends. The good ones for him, the ones that were good for him, and the ones that were potentially bad for him. One friend particularly was Deacon Salch.
1: Back in December of 2016, a St. Louis newscast was reminding everyone that the Crawford County Sheriff's Department needs your help to locate a missing man. Edward Hillhouse, 28 years old, had been missing from the Bourbon, Missouri area since April 26, 2016. The newscast stated that there are very little details regarding his disappearance, but what is known is this. Edward Hillhouse was last seen leaving his sister's Bourbon, Missouri residence on April 26, 2016. A lot of these places were new to me. So, for those of you wondering, Bourbon is a very, very small town, about 75 miles outside of St. Louis, uh, southwest of St. Louis. He had left her trailer and was walking. He was seen walking down the driveway toward Highway N, the letter N. To meet with someone. But the person he was to meet never picked him up. So you would think that if this person never picked him up, he would just walk back to his sister's trailer. But that did not happen either. He never returned to the trailer. Kayla is Edward Hillhouse's younger sister. She described Edward as a bit of a drifter, saying he had worked odd jobs and he was trying to find his own way. Kayla said she knew something was wrong early on because he was supposed to come back and see her. Apparently he had some things of his at her residence. Mm -hmm. So he was going to see her to get his stuff. He was moving to a new place. He needed to take his things there. She never heard from him. Kayla said she knew something wasn't right because no matter what, he would always get a hold of her good or bad. He, he wouldn't let her worry Mm -hmm. about him. So Caleb reported her older brother as missing. This next nugget has been reported in several reports about this case. And I don't know where this information is coming from. If this is something that his sister passed along to law enforcement, but there is a thought that he may have met with two unnamed individuals just prior to his disappearance. He has never been heard from since April, 2016 Again, very few details are available in this case. The family has offered a $1,500 reward for information leading to the location of Edward Hill House. So before we go any further, let's take a look at this, at the details of this disappearance, because sometimes they make these things pretty cryptic. And I think that's what we have here, because often you will see this when little is actually known about a disappearance. But I think we can take some of this information that they gave us and sort of read between the lines here to try to fill in some of the blanks because there are two tidbits of information in there that are extremely important to the investigation into the whereabouts of Edward Hillhouse, although they don't really supply us with any information. The first thing we need to talk about here, Captain, is the statement that Edward was last seen walking down the driveway toward highway N to meet with someone, but the person he was to meet never picked him up. I think the, the inference we can make here is that the police must know who this person is and probably have spoken to this person. Right. Even though they're not naming them in this, uh, quote unquote, disappearance announcement that they're making, trying to locate him. So the name of this person is not withheld because they don't know who this person is. They have probably spoken to them. They must believe the story of this person. Yeah, I was supposed to pick him up, but we never met up for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. Also, if this person hasn't already been cleared, well, then they are at, at the very least cooperating with the police. And police may believe this person has nothing to hide. Second, the thing here about he may have, Edward may have met with two unnamed individuals just prior to his disappearance. This appears to be something completely different than what we just discussed. This sounds like we have possibly two unnamed in- individuals that were either unknown to the Hill House family and police or, or one or two individuals that are known but not cooperating with the investigation into this missing persons case. Mm-hmm. So I know it's really kind of stating the obvious here but that's your lead after you've cleared up the first bit of the person picking him up and really it's just simply one of two things here either identifying who those two people are that he may have met with yeah or know who they are and they are not cooperating so it's time to turn up the heat on those fools right here is some information on edward hillhouse a little uh, victim profile if you will at the time of his disappearance he was 28 years old, height and weight. he is six foot four to six foot five inches tall and about 160 pounds. He is a Caucasian male with brown hair and blue eyes. Some distinguishing marks Edward has the following tattoos: a scroll on his chest. he has a tattoo of his last name Hill House across his upper back and the number 13 and a half on the outside of his left calf. He may have pierced ears and may have some facial hair. Edward Hillhouse was born Friday, February 12th, 1988, in Missouri, to Timothy Hillhouse and Sherry Hillhouse. Edward's parents would eventually separate. His mother, Sherry, went on to marry Benny Compton of Forsyth, Missouri. Edward moved to Bourbon in 2011 to be closer to his sister. Mm hmm. Edward was very close with his sister. Edward's sister, Kayla Hillhouse, was Edward's best friend, and he was good friends with her fiance, Chase Tolliver. Prior to the disappearance, Edward Jr. Hillhouse was described as a resident of Caseville, Missouri. Might be Cassville, Missouri. I mm-hmm. apologize. Which is a town of a little more than 3,200 people in Barry County, Missouri, which is in the southwestern portion of of the state.
2: Another very small town.
1: Both of these extremely small towns. Yes. Uh, everyone who had the privilege of meeting Edward will tell you the same thing that he was kind, loving, funny, and would do anything for anyone. He was known for his goofy smile, bright blue eyes. Edward had three true passions, uh, fishing, arrowhead hunting, and working on cars. Uh, he grew up fishing with his family on bull shores Lake, there wasn't a time that he didn't catch something. So apparently he was very good at the fishing, uh, him, his aunt, and his father shared a love for arrowheads and all together, they had a great collection as for cars. Apparently Edward could fix anything. He loved a challenge when it came to working on somebody's vehicle. So a very troubling disappearance here, captain, we have a person that is, well, he has places that he's scheduled to be. He doesn't see his sister. Uh, the thing yeah. that I have a problem with here is we have someone that is described as being very close to his family, especially his sister. And he this guy's not heard from. Yeah, he, he's supposed to meet these people. I don't know who these people are, uh, but he's supposed to meet these people. And then he's not heard from again. This is not I don't think we're describing a person here that is somebody that is walking away. From from a life. I don't think we're describing somebody here that would have found themselves in a bad situation and not reached out to one of his parents or to or at the very least to his sister. Mm -hmm. But as the newscast states, there's very little details in this disappearance. The other troubling thing here is that we have these three individuals, possibly three individuals, one that he was scheduled to meet, maybe accept a ride from. Mm -hmm. Uh, two that he may have spoken with or had been with before he disappeared. That's even more troubling to me that we don't have. It appears to me like the investigators may not have followed up on some of these leads that they've not spoken to these people. There seems to be to me like there should be a longer timeline regarding his disappearance. Well,
2: and with a such a small town, you think everybody knows everybody. So it's harder to keep a secret.
1: Now, Kayla would go on to marry her fiance and take the last name of Tolliver. This would all take place after her brother and best friend had disappeared. The police in the investigation, according to Kayla Tolliver, Edward's sister and best friend, she had to stay on the case. She was looking for her brother, but she was also looking for answers. Kayla put up and missing posters everywhere that she could. She pleaded for help while the police, she said did almost nothing in her opinion. She felt like from very early on in the case that she had been ignored. Uh, This is sad, you know, because, okay, look, there are a lot of times when we, you know, we just have upset and frustrated loved ones of missing persons Mm -hmm. or of a victim. And of course, here's why it's, it, it is, this may shock most of you. Um, I I know that I've found this and the captain has found this. This was a surprise to me. We have spoken to a lot of people that have been family members of victims or family members of people that have gone missing. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I found very surprising when we first got into this and we first started speaking with these people is that in most cases, not all the time, but in most cases, they don't seem to have any more knowledge about the investigation than, than anybody reading the newspaper or watching the news would have,
4: mm-hmm.
1: which is almost a little shocking. I guess, uh, it was to me in the beginning, you would think that they would be, have some form of knowledge that they would have be, been, would have been asked certain questions or sat through certain interviews where they would have an idea of, of the direction of the investigation.
2: Yeah. Well, so many cases, these missing person cases, You Take Mara Murray, for example. She leaves her her college. She's driving down the road. Her car wrecks. Disappeared into thin air. Mm -hmm. Brian Schaefer goes into a bar, talks to some people, never seen leaving the bar. Disappears. Now you take Edward Hillhouse. Supposed to meet with a friend, possibly friends. Maybe he got in the car with the the two guys, but not not the one guy. Just disappears. Mm -hmm. How does this happen?
1: Right. This case, though, has a little spin on it, uh, though, because the case spanned two jurisdictions. We have Mm -hmm. uh, Bourbon and we have the Crawford County. So we have the Bourbon police and we have the Crawford County Sheriff's Office. And I usually don't care for that, as I think it is important for one law enforcement agency to take ownership of a case. Uh, Things to me seem cleaner that way, more organized that way, when we have just one Working on it,
2: yeah. Because if you have two, you can point the finger.
1: You can pass the buck all day long. You can go, well, that's uh, we're we're not handling that. They are.
2: And pointing the finger is worse than smelling the finger.
1: <laughs> uh, I know that that I have the opinion of of a local case here in Columbus, Ohio, where I think this could have totally changed the outcome of an investigation. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's why I feel so strongly about this. We talked about uh, the Tony Muncie murder that took place in the early eighties, where we have someone that was last seen in Columbus where he lived and his body is found in Delaware County. Right. And the problem that we had with that investigation is we have Delaware County who are kind of keystone cops coming into Columbus and trying to investigate this, this murder case and really in my opinion that thing should have been handed over to Columbus from the get go. We may have had a solved case. Here we have a similar situation. We got the Crawford County Sheriff's office mm-hmm. and the tiny little Bourbon Police Department working the same working the same case.
2: Yeah, so there's somebody who needs to step up and take a responsibility for this case.
1: Well, my guess here and I, I'm sure that uh you know our our listeners are certainly smarter than me. Um, I'm sure the garage Duh. listeners figured it out. Uh, the, the town of Bourbon is in Crawford County. Duh, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's pretty easy. But I'm guessing here in these smaller communities, this is probably very typical uh, for two people to be two agencies be working these cases. Mm-hmm. I want to stress the word if here, though. If the powers that be have a good working relationship, this could be a typical thing that works out well to solve these cases Mm -hmm. because you're going to have the Crawford County that will have access to state funds and resources that the little bourbon PD just won't have, but they, they, they need to work with local PD because of one resource that the sheriff's department may not have. Uh, is a better understanding of the locals making up that small community. Well, I've
2: talked to several detectives that work missing person cases. I think one, I think did something crazy like 4,000 or 6,000 missing person cases. Mm-hmm. But the hardest thing is once the individual is of age and that there's no sign of a crime. So those two things, of age um, and no sign of a crime, it's hard for them to investigate it because there is the possibility that this person stepped away and doesn't want to have contact with anybody. And even though that the family is screaming, no, he would call me. He would tell people mm-hmm. there has been several cases, several thousands of cases where people get up, leave their current life and then they don't contact their family members.
1: Right. I do. You, do you wish that they would handle that differently? Do you, I'm I'm sure there's there's a lot of victims' families out there mm-hmm. that are probably screaming it from the mountaintops that this is not how we should handle these things. I I'm on the fence. This is a weird topic because it's strange to me. Yes, as adults, we should have that right. A person should have the right if they need to leave for some reason without communicating that to anybody.
2: Right. I think the thing too is so. Uh, this detective that I talked to said this has happened several times. And so what they normally do is it's not just, you can't just go, Oh, I saw this individual. So now I can close this case. Mm -hmm. You have to make contact with the individual. So once you make contact with the individual, then you have to say, Hey, look, the people that filed the missing person report would be your parents, for example. Okay. So you went missing, your parents are looking for you. Uh, I'm going to shut this case. Do you want me to reach out to your family? Do you want to or do you want me to? And if they say I don't want you to, that that is not the police officer's job. That's not the detective's job. So the job of the detective is to close the case. Right. And I think it's not in their job description or it's frowned upon if the detective would say to the family yeah, he went missing on his own and he doesn't want to speak with you
1: right and we closed the case
2: right but normally what this detective said is oh I'd talk with the individual and he'd say hey tell him I'm fine I I'll make contact when I want to or whatever
1: but the thing that I mean here too is that you know you talked about something that makes it tough for detectives if there's no signs of a crime that mm-hmm. they don't they don't have to investigate it further right? that they they may not they may not have to go and look into this thing any more than it's just a missing person potentially left right. on their own.
2: Well, and the thing too is one would argue, you know, overwork, underpaid, and I'm sure that's the case in especially smaller towns where mm-hmm. the budget is smaller. Um maybe not so much in, in bigger towns or richer towns. But if you have all these cases on the desk and there is no leads at all, you know, you can't fault the law enforcement to go, well, let's give it some time. Let's see if something pops up. Right. You know what I mean? Like if a murder took place, well, now we need to solve this quickly, but a missing person, like, like you said, it could be, well, he just didn't go with this guy. He went with another group of friends and, and he just went a town over for a couple of days. So, you know, it's hard to fault law enforcement for that.
1: I, I guess the question that I'm posing to myself here is this. If if someone goes missing mm-hmm. and we're looking for signs of a of further criminal activity, I guess what you're looking for is either was this person killed? Was this person abducted? Or did this person leave and flee the area because they themselves committed some crimes that they're running from? Mm-hmm. What I'm getting at is when we say that they have the an adult has the right to walk away. The question I have is, in certain situations, wouldn't you think that probable cause for a possible abduction or murder would be would be just the family saying he or she would have never left without communicating?
2: Right, yeah. You
1: know what I mean? It, it seems like... um.
2: Yeah, but how many thousands of cases, missing person cases, have the parents said that, or a friend or a family or girlfriend said he would never just get up and leave, and then they contact the person... Why did you leave? Oh, I was just tired of life. You know? Right.
1: I, I actually hate my family. Right. I hate my <laughs> and, girlfriend. And I moved down to Key West.
2: She smells funny. Well, So I went to Key West and Key Largo. Uh, Key Montego. West is just full
1: of people that have run from other other towns and cities. <laughs> hey,
2: Key West is a, is a fun time.
1: I'm going to move there.
2: Um, I wish you would.
1: <laughs> but the thing that I was talking about here where it's possible – that it might be a good thing that you have two agencies working on this particular case mm-hmm. it is where we have the resources, the, that, that the larger sheriff's department can get from the state funds and from resources that they have. But then you have the small bourbon police department that knows that should know the locals better than the sheriff's department. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I want to use this as an example to, to explain this because a lot of times people get confused about this. They think that, oh, small time, you know, small towns can't solve crimes the way that the big city police department. Oh,
2: yeah. Can do. Those those local Yoko's, they yeah. can't solve anything.
1: So a lot of us city slickers have that thought. And I, I want
2: I don't have that thought.
1: I want to point this out to everybody because sometimes in a smaller community, The police department often in cases they they're solved at a higher rate or at least a suspect is honed in on a little faster in these smaller communities where you have a police department that understands the locals because often they know the people by name and address. And more importantly, they know these people's past. Yeah. You know, if I'm a local cop and say it's a Sunday morning and old Leroy's pickup truck got stolen that was parked on the side of the road last night. And I know that living on the other side of town, you know, out of his parents' house is 17 year old Jerry, who has a history of boosting cars and joy riding around on the weekends. Well, dirty Jerry, where do you think I'm going to go first without, you know, if there's no evidence pointing to somebody else, I might end up at on Jerry's doorstep, knocking on the door, asking about his whereabouts and, and where he was and was he involved in stealing this car?
2: And why do you smell so bad, Jerry?
1: So that's just, I mean, that's just an example how in some of these smaller communities, smaller towns that that they can solve these things at a higher rate. Now, I do know in this Bourbon area, we're talking about a very small town that has, I mean, nearly no homicides, nearly no missing persons cases. Right, And that to me is why it seems so frustrating i right, think is so the, the right the, word frustrating
2: the overwork underpaid theory doesn't kind of apply to this area
1: not not in the sense of major crimes we
2: get right back to the disappearance of edward hill house right after this quick beer break
1: while your subscription is active.
2: All right. Cheers, me mates.
1: Cheers. All right. We're discussing the case of Edward Hillhouse. He was missing, but his sister Kayla stayed in near constant contact with the two departments investigating the case. Mm Mm-hmm. She was asking officers for updates, wanting to know whether anything had progressed in the case. Again, she felt ignored by both agencies. In this case, and I'm not sure that they were working very hard on this case, is is what I'm guessing, and here's why. Kayla believes officers disregarded vital clues in her brother's case. For example, she told them early on of a person in town who seemed to have information that Edward was not just missing, but he was in fact dead. Right. Kayla told police about this person. And let's say, um, you know, the rumor or rumors around this person, because here's the thing, like you pointed out earlier, I'm willing to bet that, that the police probably heard some rumors about this case. Mm hmm. You know, with it being a small town. And I know rumors are rumors, but let's face it. Really? Uh, well, Let's face it. Mm-hmm. Rumors have solved cases. They, they have nabbed perps hundreds of thousands of times because of rumors. Yeah. But Kayla says that they didn't... The police didn't speak with the witness that she told them about.
2: Yeah, so this witness was hanging out at somebody's house. And... This person actually didn't speak to Kayla personally. I don't believe I believe it was one of those uh in passing. I'm going to tell a friend about what happened mm-hmm. and he claims that he saw Edward Hillhouse dead on a couch
1: at a person's home right yeah, uh so police didn't speak with this witness. Law enforcement didn't follow up on this lead i mm-hmm. uh, i i don't I don't understand. I don't get it. You know, she, she presented this to them in th- here's what, here's what they said. Investigators basically said, you know, this is all hearsay um, saying that there's nothing that they could do. They couldn't, they couldn't just, you know, round up people and make them talk to them. Right. They couldn't just round them up and make these people give them answers.
2: No, you can't. But the thing is, is you have somebody saying, Hey, I saw a dead body at this guy's house. So what you can do is get a search warrant and search that guy's property.
1: Yeah. And I know that you can't make people give you answers, but at the very least you can speak with them. I mean, who's to say, according to Kayla, they didn't even speak to the witness that she had provided them. And how yeah. can, how can you tell a victim's loved one who, who themselves is a victim, right? If there in fact was a crime that took place, how, how could you tell that person? Look, we can't make people speak to us. We mm-hmm. can't make them tell us what they know uh, when you didn't even bother to, to to speak with them in the first place.
2: Right, and we see law enforcement on the other side sometimes acting too vigilant. You know, we're going to bring this guy in, and okay. because he saw a, a dead body on a couch, we're going to pin the murders on him. You know, yeah. But you, you, you call the guy. you you try to find out if this story is true or not, because how many times have you been at a party drinking and somebody tells you something crazy that you're like, that is definitely not the truth. Mm -hmm. So question these people get a search
1: warrant. Well, here's the other thing too. Aren't you kind of telling the perpetrator? Okay. Let's, let's say that Edward was in fact killed and he was lying in someone's home and somebody did something with that body. Right. Because that's what she's stating that this witness may know. Right. So let's say that that actually took place. Now, aren't you as law enforcement, if you are not following up on leads, aren't you kind of telling the criminal that "Mm, we're not going to work this case very hard? You really have nothing to be afraid of. Right. We'll probably never catch you. Because guess what? Kill again if you want. Yeah, to. we show up at nine o'clock, we clock in, and at five, you Get know, drink a few coffees mm-hmm. and clock out at five, and smoke three
2: Parliament's, take a huge dump. We'll you see know. you
1: tomorrow. I hope there's a football game on tonight. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what you're telling this person that should be should be extremely afraid of the investigation, afraid to the point where they might be willing to come forward and confess, say, hey. I know what happened to this guy that's missing. Right. You know? but
2: again, you know, you know, I don't want to jump on law enforcement too much because. Well, I think
1: you can in this particular case.
2: Well, right at this moment from what we know, but we don't know what they're working on behind the scenes as well.
1: That's true. That's true. So we have Kayla who's going to have to do a little sleuthing of her own, mm-hmm. you know, at her dinner table. She's pouring over clues. She's looking through things. Apparently, authorities had given her Edwards phone records. Um, something that she was later told is out of the ordinary in a criminal investigation. I would believe that to be very true, but after sifting through, go ahead. I,
2: I don't think it's out of the ordinary for the cops to get, I mean, he has cell phone, right? That's what I'm assuming the records are from. Yeah. Yeah. So they're taking these cell phone records and they're going to sift through them. Let's figure out who he called last, right? That's, or maybe if there's a history of calls, who was he talking to? Yes, this is a small town, but that doesn't mean everybody hangs out with each other. So let's try to figure out who is in Edward's circle. Right. Because if there's something that happened and it's nefarious, then, hey, it's going to most likely be within this inner circle. That's not that odd. What's odd is when they hand her the records. Right. And they say, "Uh, yeah, you might want to go through these. Huh?
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> is it? It, that's like are, what? We need your help on this.
2: Are you too busy eating donuts, smoking your parliaments and taking a huge dump to look through these phone records? I mean, and it doesn't take a, you know, Kayla looks at the information and what does she figure out real quickly?
1: Well, the, the last person that Edward was on the phone with was a man by the name of Deacon Zelch, mm-hmm. a man with whom Edward had been hanging out with. Uh, Apparently, they were some kind of friends. She tells law enforcement to look at Deacon Zelch, uh, but according to Kayla, they never did anything with this information. And I get what you're saying here, Captain. It's only odd that they provided the phone records to her. Mm -hmm. What's even more odd was that you would think it's all right. You would think that the people that that he spoke to that day, the last day that we know him to have been around. Mm -hmm. Um, and then maybe you're probably not seeing any more activity on his phone after that. And if that's the case, don't you speak to all those people first and then hand over the records when you've when you've exhausted all leads and said, hey, you're his sister, you're his best friend, you know him better than anybody else. Right. Here's the records for the past month or two or three sift through these and see if anything is odd. If anything is strange, anything sticks out to you because you would know better than us because we've spoken to everybody that, that he spoke to within the last three days or within the last week.
2: Right. And again, just to play devil's advocate, not jumping down law enforcement's throat. They could have been handing her a copy and the guy could have had a bad day. You know, his hemorrhoids were flaring up and he just said, Hey, here's the phone records you need to go through these Mm -hmm. that that might be all you know there's a lot of stuff that you know let's just not imply they're not just handing over the phone records and just not having records i'm going to assume and if they if they did that well then they're just pieces of shit but i let's just not assume that that's just what happened and again like i said it could have just been what the officer was implying or he just had a bad day maybe they were going through the phone records
1: well, because law enforcement didn't follow up with Deacon Zelch themselves, Kayla she decided to talk to Deacon herself. Yeah, uh, she reached out to him. I believe it was on uh, maybe through Facebook messaging. Um, and yeah, a lot
2: of times somebody will say text message or they'll say I emailed the person, but it's really that you message them through like a social media platform.
1: Yeah, and and actually I've there's a, there's few reports about this case. Yeah. But the few that I've seen and read, um, each one states something different, that it was either text, email, or Facebook messaging. So mm-hmm. I'm a little unclear, but regardless, she reached out to Deacon herself.
2: Well, let's explain why, though, because cops found a lot of marijuana plants on his property.
1: Yeah, and actually, I have the report right here in front of me, if you give me just a second.
2: Marijuana.
1: thirty. I believe it was 31 plants that they found on his property. They so
2: yeah, Deacon was growing some marijuana
1: and quite a bit of it. Um, yeah.
2: And he got busted. Now we don't know if he's going to be charged or not, but what does Deacon do? He runs away, leaves town. And this is when Kayla messages him.
1: Well, and he responds back to her message and he gives a lengthy rambling response. Right. Uh, to which Deacon wrote, All I can say is some people live life fuller as ghosts, his spirit, and he's referring to Edward here, his spirit, just as many of us needs a break, his spirit and a life fuller as ghosts. Deacon is talking about Edward is from these words. He's not missing. Edward is dead, right? So As, he, and even to the point that that Deacon has knowledge that Edward is dead, yeah. is what you can gather from these messages.
2: Yeah. So here's what we have: we have a, the rumor, the rumor starts becoming, right, that Edward went and hung out with somebody. Mm-hmm. At some point, he's going to get a call. Mm-hmm. We know from the phone records who calls him, Deacon, right? Deacon. Deacon's this guy, shaved head, weird beard. Captain weird beard, right? He has a beard, but he has like some stuff. Well, he's coming.
1: there's a few different pictures of him out there and the beard varies depending on on the photo.
2: Right, but I'm talking about the weird beard. Yeah. It's like it's like these long strands almost like almost like he has pigtails coming off of his beard or something. Yeah. Ugly guy. Hideous. And, but that normally happens. You got Edward, the six foot four tall friend, hanging out with Deacon, the ugly friend with the weird beard. Him, mean, he kind of looks like a thumb, you know, like a beat up thumb, a bruised thumb with a beard. So he gets a call from Deacon at some point. Then Deacon's going to pick him up. What happened then? What happened next? There's no rumors about that. Mm-hmm. But then this unknown source. Is going around town saying, "I was at Deacon's house, and I saw Edward on Deacon's couch, dead." Yes. And now Deacon is busted with his marijuana. He has now left the town, and Kayla contacts him, and he starts talking about spirits and who knows what, mm-hmm. you know. And now, now we got to put this in context a little bit because. We could jump to the conclusion of, oh, well, he's talking all, you know, his spirit and all this stuff. Deacon was wanted to be known as kind of a hippie. So we got to put that in context.
1: Well, so some clarification. This took place in August of 2016. This is when the investigators found 33 marijuana plants on Deacon Zelch's property. They located them on the east side behind two outbuildings that were located on the property. They confiscated one and placed it into evidence against Deacon Zelch. They confiscated all the remaining plants and destroyed them. Now, what they did at the same time, though, is they sent in a cadaver dog from a volunteer unit to search for any signs of a corpse, Uh, but the cadaver dog did not hit on anything.
2: Right. Right. This is this is strange to me. So, well, at least at some point that you know law enforcement is doing work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and this but but this is what the problem is here, Captain. Is that we have um we have a situation where we have the sister who has provided a witness or possible witnesses to mm-hmm. law enforcement, and those people were not reached reached out to. They were not spoken to. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, they do decide to do the cadaver dog thing in August of 2016. But this is this is after some time here. This is he went missing in April of 2016. So quite some time has passed, and oh, then not f-
2: doing any work. Yeah,
1: but then a few other changes have occurred as well. And in that uh, in that time since Edward vanished without a trace. Mm-hmm. The Bourbon police chief and the Crawford County Sheriff, well, they both retired. Mm -hmm. So
2: Convenient.
1: So Kayla is hoping that this changing of the guard will put some fresh eyes on this case. The new police chief that came on board, this is Paul Satterfield, previously a detective in the Crawford County Sheriff's Office. He was already familiar with the case when he took over. Right. So Chief Satterfield felt the same. As Kayla, he too wanted to put fresh eyes on this case because Satterfield felt that from early on in the initial investigation that Deacon Zelch was a good suspect yeah that he was somebody that they should be looking at
2: and we have these rumors around town why aren't they talking to him
1: right and the new and the new chief was also he wasn't satisfied with the low with how little progress had taken place in Edward Hillhouse's case so he hired a task force mm-hmm he used the town of Bourbon's public funds to hire this task force. He broke away from the rest of Crawford County and hired a vice unit from Franklin County that had no ties to the area. Franklin County is just north of uh, of Crawford County, by the way. And when these new investigators came in, they started the investigation over from scratch, a clean slate. Right.
2: And um, but. But what is one of the main reasons this is happening? It's because of Deacon's father.
1: Yes. Yes, it's because of Deacon's, Deacon Zelch's father, Vernon Zelch. Uh, he He had worked for the police department. Yeah. And they're going to use this informant. Uh, they're going to use this witness that you had spoke about that, that had said that they witnessed the body, the lifeless body of Edward Hillhouse lying on a couch mm-hmm. in Deacon Zelch's home. They're going to use that information. The other the other information that they received from this informant was that Deacon Zelch had actually admitted to them that he had killed Edward with a single shot to the head with a twenty two caliber rifle.
2: Right, so Vernon Zelch, he worked in law enforcement but now he does a lot of stuff with like radio and, but he knows like everybody in this small town.
1: Yeah. He's, he's uh what I would refer to as a personality. You know what I mean? He's a personality amongst, amongst town and amongst the, the small town.
2: Right. But even though you're the personality around town or a personality around town, if there's rumors that your son murdered somebody, you're going knocking on that door. And you're investigating. But it seems like there was nothing happen until there was a changing of the guard. And I think that's the main reason why, you know, the new sheriff in town or the new chief, right? Mm-hmm. Said, Hey, let's set up a task force because I have reason to believe that Vernon is snooping around and and basically um obstructing justice.
1: Yeah. And the problem you're going to have here, Captain, is the, the little Bourbon Police Department that's with inside of Crawford County uh, that's that's policed by the Sheriff's Department. Right. All those guys are going to be buddies. So it doesn't matter if you work for the police department or if you work for the Sheriff's Department. These guys know each other. These guys hang out in the same circles. They're going to, or they at least should, have one another's backs, Right. But the yeah, thing to a is,
2: certain degree.
1: Well, of course, to a certain degree, not to the point of crossing the line,
2: right? But this is crossing the line. If you're not, you're not interviewing people. You're not following. If you're up looking, leads.
1: if you're looking the other way because you know someone that because you know yeah. the Zelch family and you're you don't want to offend anybody or you don't want to throw anybody under the bus, then yes, you're doing. You're doing the wrong thing. You're you're not doing what you swore to do, which is right. protect the people of your jurisdiction. And that's why you have Satterfield, Chief Satterfield, the new new chief, calling in this vice squad from Franklin County.
2: Yeah, they I like had, Satterfield.
1: They have no ties. They, they may not even know anybody uh, from Crawford County or from the Bourbon Police Department. So they're going to go in there and be able to look at this thing and not have any worries about it, not have any preconceived notions about anybody right they're going to be able to actually go in there and do their jobs do what these other officers and investigators should have done from the get-go
2: they're going to go in there the situation we have right is that they're going to go in there and they're going to do their due diligence
1: well and we have we were able to speak with edward's sister kayla and that's who you heard earlier in the show discussing her relationship with her brother and what type of person he was. And she also knew Deacon Zelch, the person that she pointed out to investigators should be someone that they should talk to. And we get to hear Kayla describe Deacon Zelch and describe the relationship that her brother had with him.
3: Edward's relationship with with Deacon was very vague to me. Um, Deacon was known into the community for not being very bright, never actually worked, couldn't keep a family. He had multiple kids, but never took care of them, or they'd have nothing to do with him as they got older. Uh, Deacon had little respect around here for, from people. So when Edward started hanging out with him, I warned him about him, that he was no good, that he wasn't a good person. I told him I don't want him around my house or anywhere near us or my family.
1: So a good description of this shady character, Deacon Zelch, who may be at the center of this missing persons case. Yeah. We have a 28-year-old young man missing, a family looking for him. Investigators early on don't seem to be working the case very hard. And then we have these rumors about town that seem to be pointing this case in the direction of we're no longer working a missing persons case this could be a homicide investigation we have Kayla who's working hard on her own her family working hard to point the investigators in that direction the changing of the guard the vice squad comes in and very quickly we might see some movement on this and we also might see the hints of a possible police cover-up All right, Captain, I want to thank you, and I want to thank everybody out there for kicking off the new year with us here in the garage, and we got plenty more to get to in this case, and we look forward to doing so on the next show. We will see you back here in the garage. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter.